I'm Melissa Chappell. I'm Sophie Williams. Welcome to our podcast. Our podcast. Autism Biotistics in the Wild. In the Wild. (laughs) Our synchronisation isn't what it used to be, but forgive us for distance podcasting. I think it's like, because it's also like videos a little bit out of sync as well with like audio sometimes. Yeah. And there's a little like jump delay and I'm sort of like waiting for your mouth to move and I'll like, hear it and then I'm like panicking to catch <laughs> I feel like if everyone had watched the setup we've just had to go through they would maybe understand why we're a little off sync. Oh god. I mean this week it was you, at least because we yeah. just like flat said, like if we switch to my webcam like the the faithful twenty pound webcam, which serves me so well. Um, but yeah, which I've I've got like two little green dots on it, um, to like, I've got like stickers on it because I had a video interview this year and it was like to make me like look at the camera. I was like, I've got like a little Scottish flag. I've got like a little Inverness. <laughs> <laughs> Just like look at the micro, like the, the webcam, the things you do. I just assumed that this year neurotypicals would let us off the hook. You no. know, it's a bad year, you can just look at the screen, you can still see our face, and you don't have to, like, yeah. stare into the webcam soul. But no, the neurotypicals must have the eye contact. They must, <laughs> they must have the eyeball staring, because heaven forbid they don't. <laughs> I must I find it easier to look at a webcam, I don't get, like, the same uncomfortableness. Yeah, I think I don't like it when other people look into the webcam and I can feel like that soul shrinking stare. Yeah. I think I think that's a really important point because I think sometimes people like act like when we don't make eye contact it's being rude. I don't think people realise it's it's a really physically uncomfortable sensation for mm-hmm. me. If I don't like someone or I don't know someone, I it makes me feel like physically like not okay. I think people forget this in general because like, me and you, I've spilt tea all over myself already. This is a good start. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> I was gonna say me and you done the pain psychology module, even though we went through it a different year. So I think we're quite aware. Yeah. Like, was it hyperalgesia where you feel like a pain around the source instead of just in one? spot so like your whole body can feel pain from like a simple stimuli in certain pain conditions mm. and then that transpires from the fact that like pain is not the subjective thing that we think it is it's all produced in the brain so it makes perfect sense that an emotionally uncomfortable event can cause very real physical pain for you because that's just how the brain works I'm trying to disguise the fact that I almost knocked my tea all over the desk just now I just heard the little, like, clink. <laughs> and I'm just, like... <laughs> That's why I've, like, cleared my desk. Because the problem with my desk is... um, It kind of is workstation, gaming, like, area with the computer. And it's also, like, my dressing table all in one. And I'm not tidy. So it's, like, just covered in, like, crap of various things. It's got, like, some makeup. It's got, like, stationery. And it's got, like random bits of notes from crafting recipes for a game so it's like i've just cleared like the space so i don't knock anything over i um i caught a little clip of that like christmas with the Tudors or something it was called so it was like a replication of christmas 
as if you were Henry VIII on TV. And um, they, they went to, like, what it would look like for average people who didn't live in the kingdom. And they shown, like, so women would have these, like, spindle things. I'm not very good at explaining this. But they would wrap, like, branches around it so that they couldn't work over the holidays. And I'm so tempted to clear my desk and set up like a bigger version of my tree which has been up since July on the desk because then I can't do work for at least like two days I have to take a break I think that would be a really good idea yeah (laughs) I think this is the thing for me because it's like that's why I had a laptop for uni work and I do try and do um, any work work on the laptop just because it's like separate because (laughs) obviously I've got my my beautiful brand new this year, my gaming PC. This one I didn't build. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of like when I'm on it and I've got everything on it because it's like having two monitors makes working a lot easier, especially. Yeah, it definitely does. So it's kind of like I I always switch between everything. So it's kind of there's all my work stuff on here. So it's sometimes really tempting. But like this Mm -hmm. past week, I'm just like behind with some work stuff. It just feels life felt like it caught up with me today today was like i just sent you like a message of like the imminent meltdown it's a good point that you rose about because obviously you game through your computer whereas i don't but i do use my laptop like all sorts um and i attach a second display for work as well just because i find executive function wise it's good if that thing's there and that thing's on the other screen but i think what i tend to do is use my laptop in different places so if I'm just chilling and I'm like browsing or on YouTube or whatever or chatting to you through the laptop then that will be something I will go into a cosy place to do so that my mind isn't like let's open work let's go and explore those files whereas if I'm at my desk then I know that itch is there I'm here I should be doing something productive so it's nice just to keep it like location wise as well over here is the workspace and over there is the non-workspace yeah, I think that is good, but I think, like, because I do PC gaming, it's like I very much associate this desk with <laughs> gaming. So it's kind of. It's overridden by that mostly, because I mean, I've been. I've been a PC gamer since probably. Age 10 was when it, like, really switched from console. Speaking of gaming, has have you taken any downtime to do gaming this week? No, I have not. Uh, I've got part of a paper deadline for the 15th of January. I had a mini deadline today, so I have been... Like, other PhD students who spoke about it probably much more eloquently than I'm about to, but <laughs> I do this thing where, like... I think, oh, I've got a deadline coming up, so I'm just going to do, like, crazy 14-hour days or something random like that. And it's so unhealthy, and you're setting up, like, a really bad precedent for other people. So I try not to do it, but that temptation always hits when there's a deadline. It's like, I just want as much of it done as possible. And then realistically, when you're working in a team everyone's going through pressures and everyone has to say, well, I can only offer this much. So I know that I don't need to push myself beyond belief but I think like the past week well I say the past week the past couple of months have been difficult because I've got a condition but as you know I can't absorb b12 and I completely missed a job due to the pandemic so I've got like constant cognitive fog and so trying to push through and do these like ex- extreme 14 hour days with that cognitive fog has been hell and so 
the next couple of days I'm like I'm just gonna put cheesy films on Netflix and do nothing and read bits of papers and tidy things up you know things that are work but not as intensely work I think I think because I I used to do and I still do it now I'll do like those mad 14 hour days and to me it always ties with executive dysfunction and so when I've got a good day it's like I'll do like 10 hours straight of like everything we have to juggle it that way I think as well yeah I think you sort of because that's the thing like my mum reminds me that when I have like really bad like a couple of bad days she's like but when you do it you'll have like a really good solid day and I think when I did uni work I think as well it was easy sometimes to just fall into the bubble even if it was like stress related it was just like zone out music on especially because your special interests are music related yeah so it's like just kind of zone into it and I think it was as you say you've just you've got to balance it around disability I think, and you probably get this as well, there's some parts of work that feel like work, so the stuff I've been doing the past couple of weeks has been really intense. I've been writing up a results section and you know like how horrible uh-huh. that can be with qual and how difficult. Um, but like the stuff I've got planned for the next couple of days, because I promised my supervisors I was going to do some of the easy stuff while I've got the time. Um, but it's stuff that doesn't feel like work, like just tidying the order of things up or reading a couple of papers, stuff that actually feels like part of enjoyable downtime because that's why we got into academia, because we love the reading and we love the thinking. It's more when you're forced into that phase of right now, you've got to do this intense writing or the intense reading, like reading ABA stuff always takes it out of me and I think I'm going to have to for this paper and I'm just dreading that. It's hard because for my first ever essay in first year, the best mark I got throughout my degree was when it didn't count as <laughs> is life. Um, and I did it on um, factors that impact well-being on people with learning disabilities it ended up being. And oh my gosh, I really just was like the bullying stuff. Mm-hmm it really takes out and even when I did my project reading because I did um parental carers of autistic adults and like so much of the literature and it's not even all the old stuff it's so negative focused and it was really hard because it was very negative towards having an autistic child and it was just like and you could tell especially when it was like from places like America and you could see where narratives had like really fed into that And then it was really hard because then my data that I had was actually really positive about being a parent and their child and how proud they were and all the negativity was towards like societal stuff. So it was like really like, yeah, my data like contradicts all this, but it was such a hard slog to get through. And writing a full thesis as well, you've then got the fact that you've got to cover all possible areas just to commentate on your own little bit. So... I know that no matter like how much reading I've done, how many notes are there, I've got to go back to that stuff a couple of times at least. And it's worth it because as you say, your stuff is like the positive that comes through that tunnel, but at the same time it's just like, oh gosh. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think as well sometimes, because like my supervisor you said Warren said to me, like you were slightly worried about me and any bias coming through in the write-up. And he was like, You were the one person that really didn't. And I said it's because I went in with that because I think you've also got to like go in mindful that like you are gonna have the lens. I mean, some stuff like ABA stuff is like flat out just horrific. There's there's no other lens for that. 
I was going to say that's quite an interesting perspective because when you're writing up a paper for publication, you are allowed your own bias because everyone accepts that teams don't go in objectively. There's no way to do that. There's no way to remove bias when it's written up for journal publication because you're trying to add to the narrative in a particular way. So you're supposed to add in your personal bias. Um, And for us, that's, you know, anti-dominant theories, anti-problematic narratives around autism. In terms of my PhD, that's been the bias. And so it's really nice because as long as you acknowledge in the introduction your bias and make sure that your methods use a measurable objective um, layout, then it's okay to not have to stress about bias and things like that, which has been much nicer than my um, dissertations for the bachelor's and master's degrees, which did have to be very unbiased. Yeah, I was just about to say that's probably because it was the write-up for that project, but I think like framing it in a paper, obviously, you say research teams acknowledge we choose these things for a reason. Because there's a constant argument going on, like we can't avoid that fact that there's always one team piping up and saying, well, we're supporting this side of it. And then another team goes, no, we're here to say that's not true. And you need that bias to have that conversation through the research as well. Oh, definitely. I think like Ron's point was more like how it was like, it's easy to sometimes get like emotional and passionate and write stuff up in a non, especially because it was like my first like big, my decision paper write up. So it was like, I can see where it's definitely like easy to fall into a uh, not properly using research effectively. But, you know, I think that's maybe what I'll give myself time to do is just look up any updates for papers and start like working on that. As I say, my my room is nearly organised, everyone. It's nearly there. My bookshelf is another matter, but you know. My bookshelf is always the one area I give so much time and soul (laughs) into. So like, you will just see this perfectly organised clean bookcase and everything around it is just like crumbling <laughs> because my bookcase is always the thing I'm like, that needs my time and attention even though everything else really does. It's just me and books. It's been, I feel like my books at the moment have been the one thing I can like safely, securely stack and ignore. <laughs> True. Which is why they've been left. I started to stack up the ones that I bought this year just because... There was a while where we weren't sure about like object contamination and apparently the last thing I read and I didn't like check the source and everything, but apparently there's been no transmission that way. Um but I'm still like really cautious. So my books being like lots of paper, they get quarantined for a week. And so there's just this pile of books that have been quarantined that I then didn't find a space for and as always with me, I've bought more books than I've got space for, so I'm now like trying to mentally juggle what can move, where can my books go? And before you know it, like there's just too many books, not even space for me. So <laughs> So yeah, I bought a load of books like just to find of like um care and neurodiversity stuff, because that'll always be the kind of lens and narrative I do research or just have careers in outside of academia. Like that those will always be my interest area. So it's like I've got loads of them and I definitely don't have enough room for those. At least you've been buying productive ones, whereas I've just been like, ooh, books. Like, I've just bought Emily Dickinson's collection because I don't know if you know this, but that's where Evermore, like, the word was believed to have been, like, really creatively generated. So it ends with Forevermore, the same as the song 
uses that word throughout. So I was like, ooh, I'll buy that collection. That'll be really like festive and Christmassy. And I can like listen to the album in the background. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I have to listen to instrumental instrumental music when I read. Hats off to the lovely YouTube channel that's like collated the chilled out Witcher free soundtracks. Um, so it's like I just put a peaceful witch run in the background or like Lord of the Rings, the elven music, like it's great. I think for me I use Kindle Unlimited, whereas you read a lot more physical books, so I like I do use Kindle, but I wait for the ninety nine P sales because I did sign up to Kindle Unlimited, but there was just nothing that I could connect to in terms of content I read. So that wasn't worth it for me. Just me with like my weird obscure like dodgy guilty pleasure romances I read. It's been an epiphany in the last few years of me and like romance. What I've realised is I can't read like modern day set now ones for some reason. I can if they're relatable but there's too many of them isn't there? So they've, there's got to be a factor where you can go it's relatable or that's a really niche interesting part so I read one where like their lives had like massive progress and then they came back together every five years so that was quite nice just to see like how do humans interact with these big gaps and these big life events in between but when it's just normal like boy meets girl stuff there's too no, much of it i can't like the only one that's been fine that's like been like a modern day set was you bought me billy and me because you were like the main character is like definitely autistic and she's also called sophie, called sophie. <laughs> And I'm like, I usually avoid books. I've got my name. And I'm like, okay, well, like, bear with it. And I think, like, I read it and it was, like, so emotional. And then I bought the sequel and I'm like, you've done this to me. <laughs> I think you just got, like, so many messages. And I'm a quick reader. So it's like, I just, like, went through it. And I'm there, like, this direct me. That was the book that started my PhD, actually. Because, like, I went through a phase. It always comes back to books for those. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Books are good. I mean, you're doing a PhD in reading. I feel like if it doesn't come back to books, there's a problem. That's true. (laughs) But what happened was, like, well, I was a big reader when I was, like, young. And I was always, like, ahead of reading age. But then when I got to, like, teenage years, early adulthood, I couldn't visualise stuff and I couldn't connect to books. So I was, like, I've really got to try hard to get back to that. Um, Billy and Me was just one of the first books that I picked up because it was getting like rave reviews and I thought like oh I'll try this and then it's the fact that the character she's not labelled autistic but I felt she was very coded I could relate mm-hmm. so much to that perspective Yeah. and then the fact that the romance was very much like when you're an autistic person in a relationship so I was just recommending that book to everyone and then I was talking to my partner about it because I went on to read the sequel eventually like you did and there were a couple of other books by that author that were sort of similar so I found that I was actually able to understand neurotypical perspectives and then I thought I wonder if neurotypicals reading this would understand the autistic side of things especially if it was a book where it was like a labelled autistic character so that's when I was like I'm going to go to the university and find researchers that will supervise my project and you did yeah, a lovely supervisor team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read mainly fantasy, and I think I think it's really hard to escape sometimes romance in certain genres, like a lot of stuff. If it's like young adult fantasy, there's often like romance shoved in there. Sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's done well, but like 
sometimes it's not done great and it just feels like an afterthought and it's like you either make it the focus or you don't. I agree. You've probably noticed, but I don't tend to have a, a genre. I just read like anything and everything. <laughs> no, you you read. You're definitely so much broader than me. But um, I'm like that with music. I'm pretty restricted. Actually, with music, it's very country and folk, and like a few like pop. I venture out, and then like some classic people, like you know, ABBA and Queen and that. It's funny, because like for me, my music interest is genre-wise explicitly pop rock like Bon Jovi, Pink Floyd, that sort of like 80s rock style and then there's the Taylor Swift obsession which just doesn't fit into any of that whatsoever. So yeah like Taylor Swift like I listened to when she was still country part that's when I started so it's like it fit. Me too. There's, There's a few people like I like and they'll be like odd songs but what's really bizarre is I have this absolute obsession like deep love of Eurovision. And none of it's my music, <laughs> and no one can explain why. Because, like, the country thing's been, like, pretty exclusive since I was, like, 13, 12, 13. It, like, really kicked in that I was like, right, this is my music. But, like, since I was, like, six, seven, I don't know if, like, mum watched it and just, like... And live music events on... They're a bit sensitive, and it's because it's got the flashing lights and everything. But for some reason, it's not even a guilty pleasure, because I'm so happy to admit that I adore Eurovision. I don't watch it, but I loved. You'll probably know the song. It's called Fairy Tale, and I think the guy was from Norway. That's all I know, but it was just cheesy fun. I loved it. It was better years ago when it was just like ridiculous stuff. They made it like actually proper music, and it stopped being as funny and ridiculous. I mean, some years it is, some more so, but it's it's not the same as like when people dressed up as like, you know, pirates and stuff and things like that. It's it's not as crazy as that. Honest, I think, like, this is the thing, like, there was one year where there was, like, quite a folky, like, song, and they released an album, and I keep saying I'll acquire it rather than just listen to it on Spotify, and it was years ago. So, like, there's, there's some good finds I'll find from it. It's just, like, me and mum always watch it get, like, snacks, and we snuggle up, and we watch it, but I just, I just love it, and it's one of those unexplainable things that, like, why my music is so usually as far away from pop and really upbeat flashy stuff it's very chilled out very acoustic vibes what i used to love in the past tense was like when and not just like 2020 past tense but general when i was a teenager and you'd go to a concert the artists would like really put a lot of it a lot of what am i even saying the artists would really put a lot of effort into finding like a really niche upcoming band to introduce their audience to and so i would end up into more diverse music that way and somewhere along the way that just got cancelled out and you would end up with has-beens and i feel really mean (laughs) saying that but like you know artists that flopped and it was their chance to come back and i've hated that about concerts ever since like i used to be dead excited like who's gonna support this act i can't wait and now i'm like in the foyer like how long can i avoid going in when is the support act done because this is someone from like the 1960s or something that i don't want to (laughs) hear I see my first like real concert experience did not go well. I was 10 and it was my birthday. I went to see Girls Aloud. Now, we did not know I was autistic. We went to the Echo Arena in Liverpool and it was like I was obsessed with Girls Aloud. Like it was like full on special interest level. And it was like 
it was so warm, so I was overheated. Can I just add there for our audience that the Echo Arena is specifically, like, strangely warm? And if you know other autistic people go in there, warm <laughs> them, wear the light echo? clothing, dress like it's summer. Oh Even gosh, if it's the middle please. of December, it is boiling hot. Especially because I was, like, quite high up as well. And, like, I went and I was roasting. And it took us, like, 45 minutes to come on. The band was, like, naff, I think. Like, and, of course, by this point, I'm just getting into overload and overload and overload. Um, And, like, I think I saw, like, actually, like, two, three songs. Oh, no. And I was like, I've got to go. For me, it depends on venue. So, like, I'm really comfortable with indoor venues now. I think I've been to that many and the fact that music's always been special interest, we know that special interest sometimes overrule sensory issues. So I've always had that benefit. But I started, so I think 2011 was maybe the first time that I went to an outdoor venue. And then I started really pushing myself last year, like, okay, I'll go back. And um, last year I went to see Bon Jovi at Anfield Stadium. And I'm not a football fan, I've never been to Anfield Stadium. And oh my gosh, was that overwhelming. Like, I came very close to meltdown there. Um, but Alex's first concert was Def Leppard in the Echo Arena, and I forgot to warn him that it's, like, horrifically warm. So poor Alex was, like, going into overload, but thankfully, like, he loved the music, and there was a big light show for that one, which he enjoyed, so that was okay. Um, but, I like, my advice would be, if you're autistic and you're going to a concert for the first time, take some sort of ear plugs or um headphones in case you go into overload know where the exits are if you need to go and have a break and do not go in for the support act unless you're specifically going to that concert for that support act it's not worth taking your coping up before the main yeah artists it's just extra time to be overwhelmed yeah the the things we learn but i think i'm quite happy to like just not go to live music it's just not something that i'm super into and it's just kind of like i'm better spending time and energy elsewhere for me it's the connection with the artist that drives it so if it's someone i really like it's the fact that in a concert setting they will say a lot of like, personal dialogue to that audience on that night um they will sometimes introduce you to new covers or, or new songs there's just like a huge connective atmosphere it's not just the music and you, it's you, the music and the artist, like, all in one. And that's a really nice experience if that's your special interest, especially. That's what I mean. It's not that I wouldn't love to go to a Taylor Swift, but I just know it would be so big and just so overwhelming. Like, any enjoyment I would get for me would be cancelled out. Whereas, like, I think for you, the special interest can drive it forward. Yeah, I think, like, there's a lot of artists where I couldn't go to the outdoor venues for... Um, like Taylor Swift does a lot of them and that would be too much because it's hard when you've got a whole band on stage with a big performance and there's like thousands upon thousands of people shoved outside where it can rain where you might have to be stood up for hours but when you've just got like one person on a stage and then all these other people it's hard to distract from that like sensory difficulty then whereas in an indoor venue you're always sort of positioned in a more comfortable way and there's other factors like it tends to be darker and you can just yeah. focus on that one location instead of being able to visually see like all of those people surrounding you. And I will also only go to seated gigs now because you can stand up in front of your seat. It's just standing gigs. You are literally not able to sit down and you're stood for. I think one time I was stood for about six hours, maybe even eight, because you've got a factor oh, in the queue, in, the holding your spot, and then the concert. And 
it was horrific. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Yeah, like that just feels like just nah. I'm definitely more of an indoor cozy person. Me too, actually. But I think that's why I like the indoor venues because they do have that cozy feeling. Still, just you have to try and find ways to navigate the other people and the other noise and things. But I think like because what I've noticed is like 2019 me. I realised this the other night, is that I had like three hours sleep before we went to Nottingham and I still got myself to Liverpool, then to Nottingham, walked around all day, done a conference and then came home and then was like still like rearing to do stuff. Whereas now if I have three hours sleep, I can't even function in my own home. I think just (laughs) shutting off all of our like coping and sensory issues has been blissful, but it's also limited how much I can take on in a day compared to last year when that was my norm. Like, whatever your norm is set at, so mine was, like, just going into Liverpool and walking around Liverpool almost every day, no matter what. I could then take on extra stuff quite simply because it wasn't yeah. that much different, whereas now the thought of that would probably take it out of me for a couple of days at least. It's like I didn't go into a shop until September. Um, and, like, I think you just gone into a shop, like, the week I before I went two I days did. before you. Yeah, and you said everything was more overwhelming sensory wise so like that was great because i was more prepared because it was like oh my god like it really really was um i remember standing and it was my local shop as well so this was somewhere i would have been every day pre-pandemic and thinking oh my gosh the fridges have got so much louder and they hadn't it was just that thing of sensory overload we've been in the blissful bubble of home Unlike the own centre. I mean, this house can be, like, noisy considering it's just three of us just because of, like, the many noises of stuff. Um, But, yeah, like, especially, like, fluorescent lighting because I really struggle with, light sensitivity. I think I've spoken about this in, like, the sensory podcast and things. And to go back into fluorescent shop lights was not fun. No. The lights were more difficult, for sure. And it's probably different for you because I know you have been going out at various times but for me because there was also anxiety about I am at risk and I am going into a shop I would go like the hour before close and there was barely anyone there so I'd be going from the pitch black yeah into this area of like complete fluorescence and that even more the contrast of that was just nope this is really off topic but like this year for Christmas day I said I didn't want a fuss for Christmas dinner I didn't like want any big meals on Christmas day I said can we just get like party food and be snacky why is all party food like pastry based or carb like you can get a variety of stuff i think it's a 2020 problem of everybody's decided they want party food either as well as christmas dinner or instead of if they're spending it alone and so currently like i know there's certain things we normally get in that you just can't buy currently it's just so empty i mean there's like certain things that are like chicken based but like i just think so much of pastry because it's like i want to get like just like some carrots, have like some carrot sticks, just to, like, because I mean, I'm one of those people. Like, we have chocolate for breakfast on Christmas Day. We don't do proper breakfast. I always have panettone, which is like cake mixed with fruits, Italian breakfast. Did you notice that it was like an autistic thing of when we go on a train journey? I would always be there with one, <laughs> like ready to make it. Like that was just my routine. That was my coping if I was getting on a long train journey. Anyone who goes on train journey doesn't have train snacks. How? How do you do it? You've got to have train snacks. I get a Costa train breakfast unless the Liverpool pigeon is there to stop me. Like, you... <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know what I'm like with pigeons? And there's one that stalks Costa in Lime Street and I hate it. It's like, I just want to go and get my breakfast to the point where if I'm with someone and the pigeon's there, that other person goes to get the breakfast and I just give them the money because it's like the pigeon's stopping me from going in. <laughs> I don't trust myself with like a coffee cup on a train. Um, I must admit the few times that I've been to like Scotland on the train because like especially if you going with my brother it's like a meeting point is the Weatherspoons in Lime Street train station the you know cursed place this year gets food <laughs> breakfast that was like my big because I think like especially it's quite a long train journey up to like Edinburgh and you've got to like change and I always do like a half hour minimum change because sometimes if you're doing like the Wigan to Edinburgh it's like 10 minutes and I'm like if your train's late no I just can't take it I'd rather do if you book your train to Wigan separately through train line, it's fine. But then the train up to Edinburgh is always like 15 minutes late minimum. I never manage journey times the same way as other people. Like Liverpool Airport, they, I think they recommend two hours because it's such a tiny airport. And I'm like, no, we're getting there three hours early. And then like you're just sat around like, there's nothing to do in this tiny airport. And then Dublin, we turned up four hours early. And then I think there was this machine that was like this airport's at capacity you're here too early we can't let you progress because it's that airport is massive but there's too many people footfall wise compared to safety guidelines so yeah we were just sat around like oh it's my fault we got here too soon <laughs> no no I, do, I don't think there's anything as like being there too soon like there's podcasts we have like internet on our phones it's fine i could read a book in four hours i'd be fine <laughs> um I'm, like, the worst person to travel with because I'm so, like, panicky about times, especially, like, for Scott, for Edinburgh, because there's, like, the trains aren't super frequent. And it's just kind of, like... And it's always busy, so it's, like, getting your seats and everything and being at the right end and, like, just... I'm, like... I know I'm the worst person. The way I work it is, like, if the ticket is too expensive to replace, I'll make you be there, like, super early... But, like, once I'm there, I'm super chill because it's like, if something goes wrong, we deal with it. There's no point getting stressed. There's no point going into overload. Like, I think that's just years of experience being like, you know, there's always people willing to help. That's the thing. You've done a lot more travel than me. I definitely, I was speaking to my mum about it. I can feel myself being a lot more comfortable and a lot more mature and feeling like I could tackle more things around travel on my own because I've been to stuff like, been to Edmund Toys with my brother. I've done Inverness with my mum. Um... I've done like trips with you like if it's to Manchester or something from Liverpool it's like not worth stressing because it's like it's so easy to just get another ticket exactly I was thinking about um because as I mentioned to you I was thinking about like when we went to Nottingham because that was like around 11 months ago now so just past sorry 13 months we're just past the 12 month mark um and one thing I was thinking about is that like this year we all as a society talk about taking things for granted and it was the first thing that I thought about with the pandemic I started thinking back to like these really small things whether it was going for tea somewhere like public or you know eating at a restaurant or going on a train for a big journey um I would think like gosh I really took that for granted and if I'd known last year that this was going to happen I would have like saved every moment but then one of the memories that kept coming back to me was um when we were on the train home from Nottingham there was a big rush to get onto that train and then when we got there it was that soothing acceptance of you know we're on this train now for a couple of hours and then after that we're going to be 
at home pretty much so I just like relaxed with the book and that was like one of the most sort of relaxed moments I could remember of last year because my life was so busy constantly then that just that like two hours out to read a book was super chill and just what I needed I think but then when I thought about it I thought if someone had somehow told me at that moment next year's going to be a pandemic don't expect any trains don't expect any events whatsoever um then yeah in a way I would have been like trying to quickly grasp at everything every little thing of that journey but then I think in that sense having took it for granted and completely switched off and gotten cozy and enjoyed my book was a much nicer memory than if I would have been like quickly trying to take everything in and you know please don't take this for granted I've got you know I'm not gonna have this again next year let's take in everything and so I think sometimes we blur the boundary between taking advantage of someone or a situation and taking something for granted which can actually be a lovely thing if you're taking it for granted you're just enjoying that moment and you are thoroughly just switching off and living in that instant rather than trying to quickly take in every facet of that experience and that's what I miss I miss taking things for granted and just being able to think oh you know what I'm just going to chill and enjoy this moment in my life instead of thinking you know of all those things that I used to be able to do yeah like that's definitely I do think it's that thing sometimes would you like go back and tell your past self certain things and I sometimes think no I think I get it from my mum she's very much a person who like doesn't like regret things she's very like live in the moment like you make a choice at that time for whatever reason exactly I don't believe in regret either like everything happens for a reason and things like that and I think even like post pandemic I don't want to just like rush in and grab all the opportunities that I've missed this year I want to still be able to enjoy them it's also I can't afford to just go and eat all the places I miss eating at um (laughs) it's also that thing of as we mentioned that the overload and having to create a new norm you can't go from the norm of being indoors and living that way to suddenly back to like 2019 life it's got to be that gradual comfort building and exploring what needs more support than it used to need yeah and i think as well like it's still it's still gonna have to wear masks and it's not gonna be a hundred percent like you know completely like gone i think it's not gonna be it's never gonna return back to how it was and i think sometimes people can talk about like when this is over and i'm like you never go back to a certain space in time like every year there's new things that change and happen like things aren't ever gonna be the way it was it's not gonna be like pandemic ridden eventually but it's not like i think if you stay fixated on the time like how it was last year it's never you can cling too hard to something sometimes because i was thinking about so last week it will have been now with the podcast where so I mentioned about how I feel like this time in our life has pushed so many people forward in that you've just got to cope and find a way through it and then I was thinking more from like I wonder how that's affected people who are like really quite young and they're not used to having to weather something so difficult um and whereas you said in comparison that you think some stuff has been on pause and I think what's quite nice about that is listeners will hopefully 
be able to relate to one or the other or somewhere in between because I don't think it's one or the other it's a case of in some ways it's put everything on pause and in other ways it's forced us to overcome this difficulty and I think what the perspective I was coming from was an inward like dealing with yourself and how you adapt and respond to these types of things and just I think a lot of us have gone through sort of self-exploration of okay how do I cope with things how is there a part of me that I can work on to make this situation easier whereas I think the stuff you were talking about was that external stuff that we would like to work towards but we can't do anything about I was just about to say that like it's definitely like internally for me I think as well it comes quite natural to me because one of the things that was always said um, just for any new listeners, I basically didn't have teenage years. I was, my depression was at my worst when I got my diagnosis. Like, it was just, like, I've had to, like, readjust and reassess things before. Not to, like, this extent. But I think, for me, it did feel a bit like, okay, we've survived stuff before, Sophie. We can we can work out how to survive something else. And it was hard. Like, it's it's not something that happens overnight, even, like, with kind of like some faith in yourself i remember um i can't like my mind's that bad i can't remember if we spoke about this last week so i'm sorry if we did but i remember at the start of the pandemic and i, I was organizing my bookcase because that's how i go like, there's a crisis the bookcase and i was thinking <laughs> yeah, i was thinking about splinter events in life what um, the hell a splinter event like can we explain this to little old me is now thinking of like being attacked by a giant splinter. <laughs> so for me, it's like your life's on a trajectory, and all of a sudden something huge happens, and that trajectory breaks, and you are now going off in a fragmented perspective, fragmented direction, where you could have been going off in the other one had it not splintered. Um, this is just my word. I don't know why I've come up with that, um, but. The last big event for me was grief, so losing a loved one, and that just like collapses everything, changes everything, and you've got to try and move through the difficulty with that. And people often use the analogy, I can't remember if it was you who sent it to me, of water and waves, and that's a nice way to think of it, is you're not moving forward, you're being carried with the rhythm, and you've got to find a rhythm that works there. And I think like that's when it hit me, all this stuff of let's go backwards, let's go back to how we were after this pandemic. It obviously wasn't going to be a bad couple of yeah. weeks and then we were just going to go back to life. It was a splinter event because this wasn't just a personal grief, which a lot of us have experienced in various ways. This was a grief for the whole world to deal with where it was obvious we were going to have to find that way forward instead of going back because um, basically... I don't want to sound like I'm just advertising books here, but I'm signed up to the Reader magazine, which is more like a 200-page book that you get sent four times a year. And they um, were recommending books for people to read to deal with the pandemic. And one of them was George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris, which is about accepting that you've got to your absolute worst-case scenario and you've had to find a way through it through internal reconstruction and using your own personal self-resources. And I think that was where it clicked, like that's what we're doing. We're trying to individually and as a society um, find ways that we can 
carry forward and I think that's been the upsetting thing where like disability stuff hasn't been carried forward it's like no we're going back to what we used to be and we're not going to make allowances for people whereas the only way to get anything good out of it is to say what works and what doesn't work and try and go forward with that yeah like sort of just the idea of people can often really heavily cling to like tradition I think because like seeing all the stuff to do with Christmas like obviously I understand for a lot of people who have like really family oriented Christmases it's really really difficult uh, we're all quite indifferent to each other in my house um <laughs> It's it's not a bad Christmas, it's just we're all pretty chilled out, eat chocolate, play a board game, sulk at each other for whoever won, um, and ignore each other for a few hours. It's great. Um So it's that kind of like things aren't gonna be the same and if you cling to the same tradition sometimes it can be really hurtful. You don't move forward and adapt. I think some traditions are obviously great, but I think also I find tradition confusing, is basically what I'm saying. I think I think it depends. As an autistic person, I have, like, pillar events. So things that I can control, like, I will watch Muppets Christmas Carol every Christmas Eve because I can control that, and if no one's there, I can still watch it. Um, But I can see what you mean in terms of if you've got traditions that are very social this year, then that's problematic. And also, you know, things change every year. We can't always have those there, so that's a problem. I don't feel mad at anyone or anything negative to anybody who is currently struggling with that and thinking, you know, I want the way it used to be. Because I think it's society's fault for always making such a huge deal of Christmas and consumerism and you've got to go out and do this and get that and then go home and do all these things to have what is like a societal normal Christmas. And the fact that we put that pressure on people is why people struggle over Christmas anyway. So I think... There needs to be like a government motive to try and protect people's well-being because of the system they've created. Yeah, I think like I I'm sort of like hoping this year people do find the same like find enjoyment and like social contact in some way. The way like we'll put my brother on video call to play the board game, and I'm like it's great, and then we can just close him down if he's. <laughs> about something no one's interested in and sounds like you can't do that and i'm like yeah you can <laughs> you have no power and it's just like i mean we're joking about it but i hope everyone finds new ways to handle things this year and you know hopefully next year it'll be a bit more but i think also it's kind of i think it's also room to make new things that you do too i think as you say i definitely do think christmas becomes very overwhelming and some people I think there's also going to be a lot of people who are quite happy to not do a big family Christmas. Like, they, they must be quite noisy and busy. Yeah, I've never branched out too much, thankfully, but I th- those people who have, like, every single branch of their no. family in one room would be way too much to cope with. Well, it's like I was talking to my mum, because I said if I was little and she was trying to drag me to relatives, I probably would have just had a meltdown. Like, no. Yeah. Like, I had my toys. I mean, we came to grandma's that was like as far as we came we came to grandma's um grandma fed me a lot of stuff i own like an eight foot christmas tree that is like detachable branches but the top half of it isn't so the top half of it is like this two foot christmas tree that's basically standalone if you know you want it to be 
and because of that structure there's been nowhere to put that top bit so for the first few months of the year it was just getting moved around in a bag and then when it got to July and the year was like a circle of hell it got turned into its own little tree that's been up since July and I was actually thinking should I just like take it down now like Christmas is about to be done soon like this is how like my brain just does not wired in with seasons this year but like because I was in really big Halloween mood it's now covered in pumpkin lights so I'm just like living a merge of the whole year we're very different in the fact that you hate wrapping and it takes up your coping and it gives me coping I love it and this year I couldn't get the brown paper I buy to wrap from the usual shop so I bought it from the works and somehow I'm allergic to this type of brown paper when I was never allergic to it in the past I'm just like how why am I having to take an antihistamine to wrap up gifts oh god come on Kanye I mean I, I want to be good at wrapping because I see all the pretty things on Pinterest and I have a deep love of twine and I was going to wrap everything up in brown paper. It wasn't in stock. I'm buying it in October next year. So I'm like dealing with this like crinkly, like shiny, like gold oh, wrapping no. paper that was like leftovers from last year. I'm battling with my mum's gift, which is like a box shape, but it's not quite a box. Then like I ran out of wrapping paper and I'm just there like, I'm going to cry. I hate that moment when you run out. That's why brown paper is the saviour. Because if you run out, you just go get more brown paper and you can't tell. Well, it's also like, I didn't want to go get the spare wrap and the wrap paper that mum's going to use to wrap. Like, because there's a big box that's grandma's presents in. Mine is like a massive box, which is like the mystery of what's in this present. It's like, I told my mum that even you're like invested in what's in it now. And she's like, oh my God. <laughs> she's like, I've got everyone. And then, like, my grandma's stressing that I'm not going to like it now. So she was, like, panicking. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to fake a reaction. I can't do that. I've got no acting skills. You know, if I don't like it, I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Because you'll know. Um, So I'm like, we'll find out on Friday. I don't open gifts from people around that person just in case. Because people get really upset if you can't. Not even if you don't like it, but just if you can't do like a big over-the-top reaction that they wanted to see so I'm always like thank you for these gifts I'm gonna take them and open them on my own unless it's like my parents and they know me well enough that it doesn't matter but like other people I'm like thank you so much now just in case my robotic facial expressions offend you I'm gonna take these off and like bask in my inner happiness that you can't see see I know I'm a fantastic gift giver so I'm like comfortable but again your gifts are always amazing it was like it's when you've got like peripheral like relatives that would just give like the same you know random like teenager like smellies like toiletries and it was just kind of like just don't i can't use these my brother can't use these (laughs) like no one can use them because every phone's got like sensitive skin in my family so it's always just like yeah mm mm-hmm and i had one relative who always gave me really bad presents so Nobody yeah. in my um, household can use bath stuff. It seems like quite a strange gift to fall back on because so many people can't use... I can't use them. I've never been able to have like bubble bath because I'm allergic. And these are things that I think if you're not allergic to it, you just don't think of that. So people are like, oh, this is a great gift idea. I mean, if it's someone you don't know and they don't mind if you can't use that and you pass it on to someone else, that's usually okay. But I think when it's somebody known to you, 
and they rely on these gifts that they think is super safe. <laughs> it's just like, oh no. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to flowers. I don't know if that's just because I've got hay fever or if that's its own thing. I have no idea. But that always felt like a strange gift to fall back on for me. Yeah, no, Johnson's baby nighttime bath was like my saviour. Um, <laughs> that was safe. Anything that was like for babies was usually a good shout in my house. <laughs> I rely on simple and I think the other one is Xanax. Or Xanax. I, I don't know what it's called, but something like that. Yeah, I know it's one you mean. Sanex was always got simple. simple it's got like no soap in it. It's just yeah. like this liquid gel. Like we've always used Dove sensitive soap, non-bio washing powder. When people are like, oh, I buy what's on offer, I'm like, we cannot do that. That is a dangerous, no. risky game to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, it's just yeah. I think Christmas gifts. I like giving to gifts of people I know. Like you're so easy to buy for. Autistics, I think, are the often the easiest to buy for. You pick a special interest. Yeah. I love thinking about a gift to buy for someone that I know is easy to buy for. Because, like, you're putting so much time and excitement into that and then it's like, oh, and then they're going to get that gift. And I think as I've gotten older, I care more about giving gifts than getting gifts because I'm just not bothered anymore about getting stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love getting stuff. Yeah, like, I appreciate getting those things, but I'm more happy buying them for people. Like, it's really exciting to buy for my mum because my mum's happy with something that's, like, pink fluffy and, like, suitable for, like, a six-year-old. She's <laughs> happy with, like, something sophisticated. If you buy her anything that's glittery, it's a win. Like, you sorted. She likes glitter. But then it's, like, she's also got, like, things that she's into, so it's nice. And my mum's also, like, a teenager still because if you just give her money towards, like, more expensive makeup that she might not be able to get herself. <laughs> like, she's quite happy to have funds towards a new <laughs> top or some makeup. And I'm like, why are you 60s? <laughs> I've been the hardest person to buy for this year because, like, the stuff I wanted was stuff... I was like, well, I'll save and I'll get that for myself. So, <laughs> I mean, it sounds awful to be like, I keep buying myself gifts, but this is stuff that I've saved for. I'm not just, like, minted or anything. I'm really not. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm shopping for other people and I've got money there for me and I want this thing, so I'll order that. Yeah, my mum buys herself a Christmas present every year. I think I've bought myself the Christmas present this year, actually. I have my eye on a guitar, which I've shown you, and... Um, that went on offer, so I was like, now's the time. I, was, I can't wait, I'm like so excited. It's here, I say it like it's not there, just I've not had the time to like tune it and everything. Because that's been my lockdown thing, is learning guitar. And I'm so happy that I've got like a really nice one to practice with now. I mean, like, mum was trying to make out that like the cricket was a Christmas to myself, and I'm like, no, that's like an investment because I will do Etsy. Etsy is like that's a backup a one. So I'm like, and mum's like, it's still present to you. And it's like, oh, I, I have agree to with both you. of you. Like, it's it's a mix, it's a blend. I think the additional craft stuff I bought and some of the books I probably shouldn't have bought, which were 99p, and it's like, oh, look, Kindle Daily Deals. Oh, oh. don't. It was when Al looked said to me, <laughs> let's do a task. How about you go through and count how many books, including Kindle books, that you've bought every month? And then I messaged you, like, Sophie, I'm having <laughs> a life crisis. Look how many books I've bought this year. <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of books in my Kindle. Someone tweeted saying book buying is a different hobby than book reading, and I'm like, yes, it certainly is. I was talking to a neurotypical friend at the time. We went to um, Waterstones, and 
I think she she said something like, why do you keep buying books? Like, you can't be getting through them. And I explained to her, like, there's a thing where if I... Because at this point in time, this was, like, pre-book case. So I didn't have many books. So if I just finished a book, I'd get this anxiety, like, there's not many left. There's not many to pick from. Whereas if I could buy more, then that motivated me to keep reading because it was the excitement of what comes next. And she was like, that's so lovely. And I was like, is it, though? Or is this a problem? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends. I think I've got books which, like, I've not read. And I think the often is I tend to read in bed and I like, because I like to be, like, in the dark. I'll be, like, I'll read on my Kindle and it's this really, like, awful thing if I don't, like, sit down and just read a book. I also, I do that toxic thing of I'll, like, snuggle in bed at, like, nine and then it's, like, next thing I know it's, like, 2am and I've, like, read two books of a trilogy and it's like, oh, I'll just stay up and finish the third one. <laughs> so, um to do a bit of an outro because we didn't have much last week because we were new to this distance and podcasting which also includes distance editing which has been different for me to get my head around um so we will have this episode out over christmas and hopefully the holiday app maybe even another app we'll see but we'll get you at least two episodes out over the christmas holiday for you to enjoy and hopefully relate to some of the stuff we're talking about so that's been us for this week and we will see you in the next one